Hi, my name's Shelley Flett, and I want to welcome you to season two of the Dynamic Leader podcast. In this season, you'll continue to hear insights, experiences, successes, and failures from leaders across a broad range of industries and business structures. You'll also hear me share my own insights and observations of how leadership is evolving, how we can better manage our workload and get the best from our people. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun and ultimately become more dynamic. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. I have had a wealth of um, leaders who've joined me um, last season and this season we're looking at um, a really awesome lineup as well. And I'm not looking uh, to speak to leaders from um, just one particular industry or with any particular background. I'm looking to speak with leaders who you know, have a really diverse um, background and um, different industries and different experiences. And so I'm happy that today we follow that on. I'm joined by Nathan Ratcliffe, who has over 20 years of experience uh, across, you know, a, a quite an interesting um, range of industries. So welcome, Nathan. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Shelley. Good morning. Um, or good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> yeah. We're all um, connected. We're all connected. So, uh, Nathan, tell us, you, you've spent a lot of time in um, emergency services. So, the, in the fire brigade you mentioned, tell us a little bit about what it's like to lead in that space, in emergency services. Uh, thanks, Shelley. Yeah, I think if I put it in two buckets, we'll, we'll start with the fire service, I suppose, is the first one. Um, like I said earlier, you know, I've nearly got 28 years in um, the Country Fire Authority and um, my majority of my time's at Bacchus Marsh Fire Brigade in the, and 20 of those years of the 28 were in a leadership position, whether it was lieutenant uh, positions, captain uh, for a number of years and also as the uh, a deputy group officer for about uh, 10 years. So, um, very, as you can imagine, a very dynamic uh, working environment, not only you're dealing with the emergencies, but the people coordinating, controlling, um, directing and tasking people. So you've got to be able to, I suppose, firstly, I always uh, work on his role clarity and ensuring that the people, the information that people are getting um, from, you know, the command centre or, or on the ground is, is clear, concise and provides role clarity for those on the ground because um, as a young fellow in the fire brigade, you always go, what are these people doing in the command centre? They've got no idea what we're doing on the ground. And I think taking that on is a very important aspect of um, leadership in the emergency service fears, is role clarity and being able to deliver um, informative messages that are sharp and short and clear for people to operate. So that kind of sounds really simple when you say it like that, but actually finding the language, the words to, to use, did you, even though it was something that you were conscious of, did you struggle at all in keeping things clear? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a very important um, aspect of it. You know, there's probably three or four different um, forms of communication on the fire ground. You've got your radio channels for the, to, for the fire ground that go back to the incident control centre. And like the other Chinese whispers, one message gets, you know, deliberated and gets passed on. But I think, you know, when you're planning, you're doing your incident action plans, I think, you know, you keep 
we use the SMEAC principles, situation, execution, or sorry, situation, mission, execution, admin, and logistics. And, you know, the simpler the message, the easier it is. And, and the other way that I've sort of picked up over the time is to confirm that the message that was given originally on the ground matches what the original decisions were. And I think that's, you know, either by a phone call or through the radio command channels to the, to the supervisors on the ground or strike team leaders to ensure they understand what we're after. And, and specifically when it comes around uh, what they call red flag warnings, and they are uh, significant weather events, whether there's going to be a, a shift in wind or, you know, um, potentially tree hazards. So it's very, very important to have clarity in the messages going up and down the chain. And I think sometimes, you know, people get, they lose sight of that and the ICCs become insular to, to the fire ground, which is, which is probably, you know, it's a dramatic, or could have dramatic effects if it's not, there's no clarity. And I think that's something I've always sort of tried to do is ensure that, you know, the people on the ground are getting the same information that we have in the ICC. And what I'm hearing is that it requires, it's not just one-way communication, it's that two-way open dialogue to go, this is, you know, you say, you say the message, you deliver the message, and then is it just a matter of saying, can you feed back to me what you've heard? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think over the last couple of years, it's really evolved that they have these um, members on the ground called ground observers, and, that, and they're the eyes and ears. They're not fought, involved in the firefight. They're actually uh, sort of segregated from the, the firefight and are intel cell for the ICC. And I think that's something that's evolved through CFA, and it's, it's been an excellent, um, an excellent uh, method of providing information up. And, and they are very, very good. They can provide live stream from the fire ground, their timely information. And some of the decision, a lot of the decision making, decision making based from those ground observers forms the plan at the top end. And I think that's one, one way of um, sharpening up that, you know, the, the two-way communications. Because I know as a strike team lead on the fire ground, you, you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know when you're talking to them. You know, it could be you know, on the bad day and, and no one wants talking to you and you need to know what's going on and they need to know that the fire's further than what's planned. And yeah, so the information is, and communication is, is critically important, mm. just as much as the fire ground. It's, it's so interesting to hear your insights. When I was working in the corporate environment and I would get really worried about, you know, things that weren't being done or I wasn't making progress or I wasn't hitting deadlines and, and I'd work myself up into a little bit of a state and my boss would say to me, Shelley, are young children at risk of losing their lives right now? And I would sort of look at him and go, you know, being in banking, go, uh, <laughs> no. And he goes, then don't worry about it. Just yep. relax. But then I think about you and, and, you know, your situation, I go, well, yeah, people are at risk of losing their lives. Yep. And so there's this added, I guess, pressure yep. on, on getting the communication right. Do you think that that, do you think that that encourages people to be better with their communication? Because I think in general, we're fairly lazy at communicating. Yeah, I, I, I do believe so. And I think if I put the, the other hat on in the policing sense, um, being a patrol supervisor in probably one of the busiest divisions in the state, which is um, Broadmeadows, uh, like the Hume um, uh, Council area. And 
I always, as a supervisor, I always listen to the radio and I, you know, I hear some of my um, cohort at my level on the radio and I just think uh, it's, it gets very frustrating because their, their delivery of the message is so confusing for the people on the ground. Like you've got seconds to react. If you have an incident where you're with an armed offender or offenders on, or you're in a pursuit or an evade, you've got to ensure that I think my thing is the key thing is if you sound calm and your delivery of your messages is calm, everyone that's involved in that incident remains calm. Because if I, if they know, if the supervisor's all over the place and they're, they're wishy-washy or they're, they're, they're not making decisions or proper strategic decisions, they won't make proper decisions. So one thing I've learned uh, as a patrol supervisor on the ground is that, um, again, role clarity, remaining calm in, a, in those environments because they are highly stressful environments. And the fact that you've got a, you're, you're like a duck on the pond, you know, you're, you're calm on the water, but your feet are going a million miles an hour. Same with you in communication and leadership. You've got to be clear. You've got to be ensure that everyone's got the same message and, and remaining calm. And, you know, as far as deadlines, when you mentioned deadlines, in this world of policing uh, on the street, there's no deadlines. You've got seconds, sometimes, you know, ultra seconds to make life or death decisions. And, you know, I've seen it firsthand and, you know, I've, uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And a lot of people sort of say, how do you do it? But I think just over time, refining your, your leadership craft, um, aligning yourself with good police mentors, I think is very, very important for, the educational side of that so yeah mm. did you so i when i went into the leadership space i fumbled i fell over i got things ridiculously wrong i put my foot in my mouth multiple times <laughs> i learn best when i fail and i get it wrong and i and i apologize i think that's one of the things that i've probably um got learned to do really well is apologize for yep. the silly things that i've done in the past um what was your journey like? Like, did you, were you a stumble faller or were you a bit of a, more of a, an ice skater and smooth and. <laughs> no, I don't think it was smooth, but um, I suppose looking at, I'll put my two hats on again. CFA, um, I got, uh, I took, I was elected into a Lieutenant's position at the age of 19. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of my, um, I suppose the brigade at that stage had a, I suppose, a medium age of about 45 to 50. So uh, it was difficult to be able to take the leadership role on as a 19-year-old, you know, and you're trying to instruct or give role clarity to people that have been in the, in the service longer than you. And uh, I learnt fairly quickly that, um, you know, there's a couple of times where, you you, you know, you, you want to achieve something and you, you're butting heads, and I suppose the bump and grind of a young bloke trying to tell an old dog how to do new tricks or bring in new techniques or even just in dynamic situations. There's a number of times I've had a couple of stand-ups with a couple of people and, you know, you, you, you heat it out and, and then you go away and you think about the conversation and how it evolved. And, and I, I've always reflected on those incidents and gone, Okay, I'm a bit smarter now. Maybe this person I can I, I approach this person differently, and it's it's important to know the people that you're leading 
And I think when that comes to camaraderie, and especially in emergency services, you've got to be able to trust the people that, that you work with or work for you. And I've never seen it as if they work for me. It's more um, team orientated. I try and if I am the leader or I'm in a position of leadership in a critical incident, then I assume the role as leader and, you know, and, but yeah, I've had some bumps and scratches along the way and, um, but it's made me, a, I suppose, a, a better leader in um, going forward where I am now. So, yeah. Do you ever keep in contact or do you have conversations with anyone who was, um, I guess, exposed to that when you were younger as as a more seasoned leader? Um, uh, yeah, look, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of, uh, I shouldn't say old fellas in the fire brigade, but they, they've known me. Um, I suppose from the day I was born because my dad was involved with the CFA and I grew up in the fire brigade and, and I've grow, grown up around those fellas and not just fellas, there's, there's girls and stuff there too but um, they always they've always parting their knowledge onto me or you know and some I use as a sounding board and you know blokes that I might have had a, had a run in with you know we always have a laugh about it or you know I suppose one specific time I was a leader and without naming anyone, you know, we had an issue with drugs and alcohol around the fire station. Um, as a young captain, was very, very confronting. Um, not only did I have the young fella and had his parents in who I knew personally, um, and it was, it was really confronting. And I said to the young fellow, I said, in, in five, 10 years time, you and I are gonna have a conversation and because this kid was, he was a really good, a really good firefighter. He was, he was, he just lost his way a little bit. And uh, today the young fellow and I are very good friends. And he, he always says to me, he goes, oh, he goes, oh. Not, he wasn't embarrassed, but he just said, you know, you really had an impact on me back then at that time. It was confronting and, you know, and, uh, and now he says, you were right. He said, you know, 10, 15 years later or 10 years, he said, you know, I look back and go, oh, I'm thankful for your, in, um, your intervention. So that's something really important to me that, that I help uh, or assisted someone just find their way. And, mate, this bloke owns his own business now. He's, he employs people. He's, um, he's a really good fella. So, yeah. And so understands the fundamentals of leadership. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he does now. And hopefully I've had a good influence on him and, uh, yeah, so they're the they're the wins, um, and they're the confronting things as leaders. As you know, without uh, I suppose you know you can do as much formal leadership training as you like. I think it comes down to the personality, um, your ability to communicate, because you it's, it's so quick to have an argument with someone with a communication, or it's it's even harder to negotiate, um, and you know put some compassion in your conversation and, and work through the conversation without it being semantics and, you know, bravado. I think it's very important to be able to understand how people work, what they do, how to deliver messages and, and how to get it back. I've had, don't worry, I've had plenty of feedback over the time. <laughs> so, so on the topic of feedback, because it is something that I'm working quite closely with at the moment, how important is feedback to the culture of any team? Um, I'll use my... Um, 
my current situation. So I'm a currently detective sergeant in Victoria Police and I, I manage a crew of four. So that's myself and four detectives and I obviously answer to a chain of command. Um, and I've been a sergeant for uh, be nearly five years, oh, coming up to five years and I've worked in a number of different offices doing what they call upgrading or you do as a sergeant, you go into different offices and, and learn I'm a detective by, um, but you go to, to get promoted to detective sergeant, you've got to go and get experience in different places. And you sort of learn, you know, the first couple of times dealing with uh, individuals in a small crew trying to achieve time frames. And, you know, at that stage, I've been in the police force for 15 years and I'd been able to, you know, the last couple of years just trying to work my resume up and be able to um, promote forward. But, some of the key things is um, I break the team up into um, so there's the team meetings and then there's individual meetings and then there's the you know strategic stuff that we want to set out for the team and what we want to achieve both as a team and individually and it's important I think one one key element of being a leader of that team is that everyone's on the same page when it comes to an investigation that not one person's working in a silo on their own in the investigation. It's important that their colleagues and myself are across all of the jobs so that we, you know, when time comes to pull the lever and we run off doing a, the investigation or it goes to the resolution phase, everyone has to have the knowledge of the job. So I think it's important, regular meetings, um, regular milestone catch-ups, and then on the individual basis, it's, you know, going away, speaking to the person individually about what their workload is and not just their workload, how they're going. Um, it's about, you know, their well-being. I think some one thing that Victoria Police has done very well in the last couple of years is, is going back to, or not going back to, but, oh, sorry, I've lost you there. Sorry, hang on. Sorry, Shelley. It's all right. I can still hear you. Oh, that's all right. Um, yeah, I say one one of the important things I think is um, the fact that uh, there I am. <laughs> Sorry, technology hack. Sorry, um, <laughs> the individual aspect is is you know without getting too personal with people and encroaching on their on their you know their their personal lives. I think it's important to know the person, and you sit down, you go through their work, um, see how they're travelling. You know, do they think they've got stuff that they're achieve that they can achieve, and if they've got issues that you know, they come forward. And I think that builds the rapport. And I think you've got a rapport with your people, um, and they see you as a person that they can uh, rely on, or just have honest conversations about workload. And and when I say the welfare aspect, um, quite important is you know how they're tracking, or, or is there anything that I can do to to assist them in you know, making their workplace firstly safer and their environment. And I think that's one thing I've learned over the long period of leadership is without the people you can't achieve. Yeah. And and I think if, you know, I'm open and honest with them, they're open and honest with me, then it, it goes towards a good result when it goes to resolution or to the courts. It's, um, it's a very important aspect. So, yeah. And so um, you, so what does feedback look like with your team? Do you, is it, is it two ways? Is it similar to your communication? Um, do you get feedback from 
your team as much as you give feedback? Yep. Do you seek it? What, what's your approach? Um, oh, look, um, it's always good to get the feedback. I think how I put in my terms is um, I'll conclude, a, if we have a team meeting, I'll conclude and say, look, is there anything that, that, I, that I need to do or... Uh, I, I lay it out there. Says anything that I need to do to to make your job easier? Because my job as a sergeant is to facilitate them being able to achieve. And I think if I can offer them a position where they say, "Well, Nathan, I, you know, I think we're on the wrong track," or if I provided them uh, an avenue of inquiry and they go, "It's not going to work," well, I say, "Well, okay, well, let's nut it out." And I think with feedback, at the start of feedback. I'm a person in my leadership style that I've developed over the time is uh, I like to deal with problems when they're really small instead of as like we all do, but I'm, I'm really big on, okay, what's our problem? Or if there isn't a problem, let's sort it out now. So we get it negated or it's, or it's squashed. When I say squashed, it's dealt with and we move forward because there's nothing worse than having an unanswered question or the team not, having something will walk out of me and go, well, why, why are we doing that? Well, this is the problem. I'd rather be honest and upfront and say, Nathan, this is, this is just not going to work or you're, this is the wrong way you go. And I'm, I'm happy for that feedback. And, you know, and I think that's, that comes down to the rapport building with your team. And I would imagine it would have a lot to do with the trust that you mentioned being really important is that um, it's, it's a bit about rapport, but it's a whole lot about trust. So if I, if I say to Nathan, Nathan, I've got some feedback for you um, and and I don't know how you're going to respond to that, then yep. that can change things, can it? That's right. And I think that's where you need, yeah, again, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a scenario. I was a young junior constable in my first 12 months as a policeman or police officer and, um, you know, I might have got a little bit carried away with myself and one of the old sergeants pulled me to the office and, you know, I said, listen, kid, you, you know, you've only just started, you're not, you know, you just be careful where you put yourself. And I think, you know, that was his form of saying, you know, don't get too ahead of yourself, you know, learn your craft. And, you know, and I've had that, I've had a couple of really significant mentors over my period. And, and some, for some reason, they give very honest feedback. <laughs> but however, I will say to you this, the feedback as much as we sometimes fear it or we don't like it to be able to develop or grow without honest feedback, you're really, you're really hurting yourself going forward. And yeah, go. So, so when you talk about, you know, when you were younger and um, you were given the advice of don't get too ahead of yourself, I would imagine that would have been unsolicited feedback, that it would have been feedback you didn't ask for but was given to you anyway. <laughs> yeah, so in, in the policing environment, uh, when I first started, I suppose the, um, the niceties of uh, leadership, you know, there was a bit more brutality to policing because a lot of, as you know, I suppose police deal with the, you know, the gritty end of the world and, um, and the good and the bad, but I think you people in policing generate a, uh, a very thin skin, not a thin skin. Well, how do I, how do I place it? They, thick skin, right? <laughs> they have a very thick skin, but they, their, their feedback is less um, tainted. It's more direct. And look, you know, and I think 
in one format in another, that's really it's a really good form of feedback because it really ionizes your your thinking and you know it actually checks yourself to self moderate and and go forward and and like I said, I, I probably couldn't have enough fingers and toes on how many feedback how much feedback I've had over time, but um, it's, it still resonates with me today and. You know, and I've had those same conversations with subordinates as well. I've had, you know, especially at Fire Brigade, a couple of young blokes come in or young people come through and they get a bit carried away. And I'm not saying carried away. It's more for their own safety. You know, you're dealing in dynamic environments. You're dealing with, you know, armed offenders or, you know, suspects have done a home invasion or an aggravated burglary. And, you know, you need those people to be moderated as well. And if they do go beyond what you've asked them to they need to be spoken to and sometimes it's either there and then or it's then you you have your piece or your debrief on the scene you get it all out on the table everyone's comfortable um if not then it's a structured meeting later on and then it's more constructive feedback not so dynamic (laughs) got it to the point so uh, in the moment, so this is kind of asking you to think back again to when you were you were younger and first received it. And because I remember the first time I got a piece of feedback like that and I was quite, um, uh, I think um, I was versed on it because my dad was quite, well, is quite direct in, in his approach. So I, I managed to kind of get a, a thicker skin. Um, and I actually think that's probably why when I did get feedback in the workplace, that I could, it, it stung when I received it and I thought, ouch, that hurt. And then I went away and I thought about it and I thought I can do something good with this or I can change my behavior. And there's another side to that and there's probably multiple sides, but the other side I'm thinking of is the side that says, actually, you can get stuffed. I'm, I don't care anymore. I'm going to quit is, you know, how do you navigate the, do you see that? Do you see both sides? Um, yeah, look, um, as you know, going through a career and, and if you, you know, that way inclined to seek promotion and you've got to generate resumes, I'll tell you a very recent experience in my last job, I, I had a, I a, went to one of my mentors and I said, oh, do you mind reading my key selection criteria for this interview? And I didn't have an opportunity to go and see him face to face, which I normally would, but in this current climate and uh, I sent him the resume and he, and he rings me, he goes, what's this shit? <laughs> and to be brutally honest, he goes, he goes, who wrote this? I said, well, I did. And he said, uh, he said, mate, we've got to do some work. And it was, he, it, he was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. But, but on reflection, the reason why it was brutal because he knows you know, the sort of person I am and, and how it should have reflected my leadership capabilities, my investigative skills and, uh, and things like that. And I, I said to him, I said to him, I still have nightmares from that conversation on your phone about my resume. However, however, the feedback and, you know, and the, and the position he put the resume in was ultimately was successful. Um, however, I, uh, the feedback was brutal, but, you know, going both ways, um, it's made me, I suppose, think about how my leadership will be displayed and going forward. And he really, um, 
not polished it, but he uh, he certainly gave me some good advice and told me where I needed to put it and where it needs to be. And and actually, he actually said it was underwhelming. He said these are the words: it was underwhelming in relation to your leadership capabilities and experience. So it's a lovely call. <laughs> it is like yeah, oh, it sounds a bit self-serving, but um, he he said it's got a you got a it's got a be better and, and it worked out but that was brutal um but in the long run it's um it's worked out and so do you think he delivered it to you that way because he knows that you that you respond well to direct and that you have an ambition or direction yeah exactly and he and i think that all comes down to the rapport that i have with him to know that he's not just gonna uh rain in my pocket and tell me everything's rosy he he knows the expectations I put on myself and he's, we have that relationship where he, he can be brutally honest and I'll say, yep, no worries. I'm, I'm away. Or, you know, I suppose I've always been a person who wears their heart on the sleeve and what you see is what you get. Um, but uh, we can certainly have those conversations because I've worked with him for a long, or had worked for him for a long time. And, uh, and I certainly respect, he's one of the person, probably one of the most, uh, important person in my policing career so far. So, yeah. That's great. It sounds like you've surrounded yourself with a lot of mentors and people who have supported you along the way and called you on your... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And look, I could probably count on my hand, you know, the mentors I've had. And, and I suppose there's a couple of clear ones. Certainly was my father. He was probably the biggest influence um, in my professional career and also as a volunteer and and in life in general you know he set me up with uh, some excellent values that I that I put into my kids today and um you know god bless him uh he's yeah he's one of my biggest influences and then I've had a couple there's probably one or two through the fire service that that I that I still talk to today that have been very very important in my leadership in the fire service and then in Vic Pole yeah. um there's probably you know, one or two, but so there's, you know, four or five that, that truly are um, true mentors and, and a, a, they're all wealth of knowledge. They're all got plenty of life experience and, mm. and you know, and their feedback's brutal. <laughs> and so for those that, um, that need, that, that don't respond well to brutal feedback, because there are a lot of people who don't respond well to that, what is your approach? Uh, look... I've had a couple of dinks with that through my professional career in the police force. Um, look, the police force is made up of a, a broad range of community representatives, whether they're, you know, they're female, male, whether they've got Indian descent, whether they're, you know, European. The Victoria Police represents the community it works for. And, you know, I've had some, uh, I suppose, dealing with junior members as a sergeant at the station, you know, you've got a young person, female, male, they come through and, you know, either their work's not up to scratch or they just don't understand the the, the, uh, the principles or the procedures that are required. And, you know, our first couple that I had were, um, I had a young fellow who took a statement off a victim and the statement was a couple of pages, or not even a page long and a couple of paragraphs and didn't actually capture the crime that was being reported and, um you know, I come off night shift and, you know, you've met fatigue, you know, through night shift and I suppose your resilience is a bit, uh, what do I, how do I say that? Your resilience is um, lowered. And I said to this young fellow, I said, 
mate, this statement's rubbish or this, this the information you haven't even. And I, and as soon as the young fellow walked away, I knew that I'd, you know, not upset him or the feedback I'd given was, was not delivered in the right manner. Um, and, you know, I went away and I, I, was, I was filthy on myself, but I just said to this young fella, the next day I was putting him aside and said, listen, you know, I've got to apologise for the way I, the, the way it went down yesterday. He goes, oh yeah, look Sarge, I call you Sarge, I show you respect, you know, I, you know, I respect your, your experience and your leadership and he goes, but I was really, um, I was really upset with the way you gave my feedback and I said to him, well, look, mate, I, you know, I, was just, I explained my position, you know, fatigued and there was a lot going on when you're running a station, you're being peeled uh, from pulling a post and, um, and we sort of, we, we talked about it and, and apologised and, and our relationship went from there and, you know, he's turned out to be a pretty good young policeman, so it's good. And then um, equally that would have had an impact on how you delivered feedback to people in the future who... Very it. important, very important. It was a, I suppose it was a mile post in the leadership part of it to say that, okay, I've got to do this again. This is how I'll do it. And I, you change your approach and, um, you know, you just sharpen up the way you go about speaking to people, especially when you're going to talk about their abilities, their competence, their um, capabilities. You've really got to be, in this day and age, um, very mindful of how people are receptive for that because it can, it can be very detrimental to their well-being. It can be detrimental to the way they go about in the future. It might make them unhappy in the workplace. Um, and I think, like I said earlier on, the the well-being aspect of mine work environment at the moment is is at the fore and i think you know if you're healthy and happy and um and you feel support or you're supported i think you know people will break down brick walls for you that's awesome so what i'm hearing is that um clarity of role is really important it's so important to have trust and to um yeah to trust your team and to have that that good relationship yep. um, and really important to be able to adjust your approach to yep. people um, and obviously situations as well. Cause I would imagine there would be situations where it is as much as I would like to do a really slow, easy, you know, work into it approach. Um, we're in the middle of a crisis and things have got to get done. So. Yep. Yeah. Look, roll. And I'll, when I always do my uh, briefings for, for investigations, you know, it's so important. It's so important to have effective communication to you, to the people who are on your team and also those that come from a different department within VicPol that you've got to brief about the job that we're going to help for. And if, it, you know, they're going to, I'm going to be putting them in positions where, you know, we're not dealing with the, the kindest people in the world. And, you know, I've got to ensure that firstly, they're going to be safe what they're doing. We've got all of the information that they need to be able to execute the plan without, you know, without any, uh, you know, without any questions. When I say without questions that, you know, I don't leave them with questions when they walk out of the briefing room going, geez, what are we actually doing tomorrow? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's so important that even their leadership or my cohort know that, what's expected this is what you're going to confront these are your these are your contingencies um and you know the communication lines it's just it's it's critically important otherwise people 
you're putting people in some pretty pretty severe danger. So and, and lives are at risk. They are certain. <laughs> they are certainly at risk. Is when you're at the door, you don't know who's. Behind, sometimes you don't know who's behind it. But um, you know, and that's that goes down to good planning. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so many insights there. If you were, um, you know, thinking of of new leaders, what's the what's the biggest um, thing that a new leader needs to focus on when they're kind of starting out on their journey? Oh, there's a, probably a couple of elements to that. I think um, a leader needs to be really, really well aware of their leadership style, and that that's not just the person, how they dress, it's, you know, how they interact with people, how flexible they are, how adaptive they are to change. Um, I think that's learning yourself as a leader is takes, it just doesn't, just doesn't happen. It doesn't, it's not something you can read out of a book. It's, it's trial and error. So I think it's, and you know, in that journey, you know, you do, you, you, you get your bumps and your scratches and you, you know, you pick, you dust yourself off and away you go. But very, very important that the leader, they find out who they are. What do they, what are their values? Who do they, how do they represent? And another key element is what do you want people to think of you as a leader or what do they expect of you as a leader? You know, do they want someone wishy-washy? Do they want someone who's um, genuine gives clear instructions, is um, approachable. And and then I think the other one is just the human element of leadership. And that's that, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with people, being able to have conversations, not only with your senior management or officers or, um, but it's been able to, you know, feel free to communicate at all levels. And, and the last key aspect is as a leader, especially in an emergency services environment, if you are the leader, you need to act like one. You need to be, you need to be, have the ability to make decisions, um, be confident in your capabilities and your competence making, making the right decisions. Yeah, you're going to make some wrong decisions, but if they're in good faith and that their intentions are right, then I think you're, you're going okay. But I think if you are the leader, especially in an emergency service environment, if you're the leadership, you need to be the leader. Don't don't stand behind the pack. Don't don't throw water or and don't make people do things that you would never do. Very very important. You don't put people in positions to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. I think there's some key leadership things that I've picked up along the way. Wise words, Nathan. <laughs> Um, and I and I think um, you also mentioned having having a good mentor and good support around you. It sounds like you've had a lot of that throughout your career, and and I know for myself that that this has been a huge um, game changer. Is the people that I'm talking to? Yeah, you, you're exactly right, and and that goes two ways. You you surround yourself, or you surround yourself with good leaders or good mentors that you can bounce stuff off, and they give you advice. Um, and I think another key aspect to mentors is through your through your life you see people that you really um the way they lead and some of the really great attributes that these leaders have and you go you know what i want to add that into my repertoire i want to put that on do you know what i mean and 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 i look and i've you know you you look at the chief commissioner now victoria police I, i see him as a is a fantastic leader um 
and you know a lot of the, his commentary is is really really good and you know and one thing that stands out from me from him is if you make a decision in good faith and in and in good judgment you'll be back to the to the eyeballs and as a leader and as if me working for someone who's a leader that's that's gold that is absolutely 100% because if people go forward not knowing if oh, second guessing decisions and then, then you make the decision it's wrong and you're not back then you just you, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face and so I've you know I've stolen a lot of leadership ideas off a lot of people over the time but um, I think I think it's the only realm in which stealing is actually legal and moral isn't it well <laughs> oh, well it's not it's, good leadership's not written in any book as in far as the way people go about it. But what I've done is I've taken snippets of a lot of different good leaders and good people in my life and, and taken them on and, and learned them and understood the value of those good leaders and tried to put into the way I go about it. And, you know, I'm just a battler from the West having a dip, but, you know, I, uh, you know, I try to take on a lot of the good stuff so that, you know, when I when I'm finished, or people remember me as a as a good leader, then you know I'm I'm halfway there. Love it. That's awesome. Mm. I'm going to let us end on that note. Thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate you joining us. Normally, I would say to our listeners, if you want to know more or connect with Nathan, um, then his LinkedIn profile will be um, in the comments. But Nathan's not on LinkedIn, so you just have to go on wondering about the amazing Nathan Ratcliffe. And um, and if you do want to get in touch, please reach out to me and I'll see whether Nathan's available <laughs> on your behalf. No, no problem, Shelley. Yeah, just get in touch. No problems. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I look forward to um, having another conversation next week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.